Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 9, Ecclesiastes chapter number 9, and I want to begin reading there with, uh, let's start with verse 4, and uh, we'll go down through verse 11. For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. A lot of people have used that particular verse of Scripture to say that we are just like animals. We When we die, we have no soul that lives on, or they may speak of this doctrine that they call soul sleep. Well, we don't believe in that. That's not what he is conveying here in this particular text. In other words, there's nothing more that they can do about the outcome of of their eternity or the reward that they would receive. That's what the writer is trying to convey. When life is over, you take your last breath, you get no more chances. Can you say praise the Lord? Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. So go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with thy wife, whom thou lovest all the days of thy life, of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. I return and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor the yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. I want to use uh, verse 10 as a key verse here uh, to kind of hang our thoughts on tonight. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all, or do it with thy might. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. I want to use that first phrase as a subject for our teaching tonight. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. To do whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. 
Let's pray for the Lord's anointing, His blessing on this service. Would you help me pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, so much for the opportunity to be in your house, to feel your presence, to receive from your word. And I pray, God, that your word would fall on its sensible soil of the heart. I pray that the seed of the word of God could take root in our heart, be fruitful and multiply in us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Would you give praise to the Lord right now? I thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. I'm going to tell you right from the outset tonight that this particular passage of Scripture is a little bit ambiguous, and I don't do good necessarily with ambiguity. I uh, remember in high school and in uh, different settings reading Shakespeare and other authors that, uh, you know, kind of deal with ambiguity and kind of write and let you guess what their meaning or maybe there is multiple meanings. But the more I studied this particular passage, I found that there is a lot to unpack here. And at first glance, when you look at this particular text, it appears that this is words only of encouragement. But as you analyze a little closer, you'll find mixed with these words of encouragement is also warnings of admonition. And I think it's important when you approach this to realize that the double-edged sword that the writer is endeavoring to convey. And uh, he is artfully describing an individual that is living their life uh, with some measure of carelessness. They're living their life haphazardly. In other words, they're taking no thought for tomorrow. Uh, They're living, as the old saying says, uh, live life to the fullest, Eat, live, be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the kind of philosophy that these people that he is writing of evidently have. And uh, they are being terrible stewards of the gifts, the talents, and the blessings that God has afforded to them in this life. And can I tell you that one of the most precious commodities that we have And you'll see this emerge from this book of Ecclesiastes, which, by the way, uh, the meaning of the book of Ecclesiastes is the preacher, and this book is the sermon or the message that the preacher is conveying. And so he is endeavoring to give us a message, and you'll see over and over again the subject of time always reappearing and how that we need to be good stewards of our time and the life that we have because we only have one to offer to God. We only have, each of us, a certain amount of time to live on this earth. And when it's over, we're going to spend an eternity somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. And we need to be mindful and live our life every day with that view. And uh, we, we need to have a good grasp and be good managers of our time and make our lives count. And I think uh, superficially, if I ask the question here, how many wants to live a good life and leave a legacy 
and a pattern that can be followed by generations to come if the Lord should tarry. I think everybody in this place would tell me, uh, yes, that's what I want to do. I, I want to live for God. I want to serve the Lord. I want to live a good life that my children uh, can look to and be an example and grandchildren what have you can look to to be an example of this is how you're supposed to do it. This is how you're supposed to live for God. Most all of us have that gold. But you know, life has a lot of different twists and turns. And there's uh, human propensities that all of us have to crabble with. There's, there's situations within all of us and our makeup that we all have to conquer. And we have to get victory over. All of us are going to deal with the flesh. And we have to crucify the flesh as the Apostle Paul talked about. And he said that he had to crucify it daily. So where does that leave you and I? Every one of us are going to have to see that this flesh is crucified and crucified often through uh, prayer, through fasting, through adherence to the Word of God. That's how we crucify this flesh. That's how we kill carnality in our lives because we, we, we know that the Spirit is enmity against the things of the flesh or against the carnality that we are all given to as human beings. Anybody says that they've conquered their flesh entirely, well, uh, they may hope they have, but they haven't. Because as long as we live in this life, we're going to have to deal with this flesh. There's certain things that we can conquer. We can conquer spiritual things. We can conquer certain uh, things that come against us as far as sin and spirits of the world and that type of thing. But you're going to have to get discipline within your flesh. And you're going to have to conquer things. And you do that through being obedient to the Word of God. And, and making some daily habits. And, and, uh, and, and developing some, some certain, uh, well, just uh, characteristics that you follow uh, often, every day. And say, you know what, this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to have to stay away from this. I'm going to have to abstain from that. And I'm going to have to stay close to this over here. In other words, I'm going to have to stay close to God. I'm going to have to pray. I'm going to have to make a habit of being faithful to the house of God. I'm going to have to get this book out and dust it off and read it and know it and get it on the inside of me and digest it and let it get down in my innermost being and then flesh it out every day in my life and lifestyle. That That's important. That's that's. That's what it takes to be saved. And, and these that he's referring to, uh, well, they're just the opposite. They're living sloppy lives. And uh, when their life is done, it's not a life to be remembered. He said when they go to the grave, the things that they did when they were on the top side of the soil is not anything to be remembered. They live for themselves. Their, their lives were given just to their own enjoyment. They lived according to their own whims and their own uh, inward drives and desires and hunger. And they never got control of their appetites. They never really had a hunger to do what God wanted them to do. And therefore, uh, 
when their life was over, they breathe their last breath, they're forgotten. There's nothing that is lasting. I'm going to tell you, if you want a life that lasts beyond uh, what you live here on this earth, you have to invest in spiritual things. You have to invest in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, you gotta, you got to live a life and have a testimony that, that lives on long after you're gone you got to be willing to dedicate yourself and consecrate yourself to some some things and and commit to some certain things. And so they lived only for this life and not in lieu of eternity. And so as you walk through these verses, and I'm gonna I'm gonna endeavor to do that just a little bit here. Walk through these verses. He said, "Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy." In verse seven, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. Go thy way. Eat your bread and uh, drink your wine with a merry heart. In other words, just, just live however you want to. Just whatever appetite that you have, whatever desire that you have, go that direction. But in the end, just understand that your life is not going to be one that's going to be remembered. Also, their love and their hatred, their envy is now Perished. In other words, when they die, it perishes with them. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. In other words, the, the things that they give themselves to was just temporal things of life, not to be remembered. They didn't have a real cause and a real meaning and really something that they would strive for. And uh, live for that was consequential, that would, that would live on, that would be remembered. And uh, it's, it's those kind of things that, you know, those people in history that we know of, that there's really just a footnote there. There's nothing really consequential that they didn't stand for anything, they were not committed to anything, there was nothing to really write about, they just lived and died and you moved on. And... Then there's others that their lives were so committed to certain causes. Their lives were so uh, driven by a passion to see certain things accomplished. And as a result, they are remembered. And history marks them well. And books have been written. And in the annals of history, you can go back and reflect on that and learn from that. Well, it's, it's true even with saints of God. It's true with even patriarchs in the word of the Lord. It's true with people that we look and, and uh, we derive guidance from as their example continues to live. People like Abraham, his faith. People like Isaac who remained consistent and was a bridge between Abraham and Jacob, and Jacob who wrestled with God and was determined to have the blessings of God in his life. And then he passed that same earnest desire on to his son Joseph, who was tempted beyond any conceivable measure, and yet he stayed faithful to God, and God blessed him and raised him up. And a nation was developed because of men, patriarchs like this, that stood firm and lived for a specific cause. And so he said there's, there's, there's people that, that only live for the merry heart, and after it's all over with and said and done, there's nothing to be remembered. Let thy garments be always white, 
and like thy head lack no ointment. In other words, uh, the exterior and, and everything. Put on the front. Look, look good on the outside, but not be concerned with the content and what is within your heart. What is down deep inside of you, the real you and who you really are. Amen. I'm going to tell you what you really are sooner or later in your relationship with God is going to come to the surface. Pressures and, and, and life itself and stresses. Uh, you know, buildings, the structure of them is not tested until there is a storm. You, you take hurricane force winds. You take, you take floods assaging against them. You, you take any measure, uh, whatever way that you want to, to, to measure the, 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 the force of a storm and, 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 its, and its relentlessness against buildings and structures. They're tested in the midst of a storm. And lives are tested through the pressures and the stresses of everyday life. And what we are eventually comes out. You, you can't just, you can't hide it. You can't camouflage it. You can't, you can't cover it up. But eventually it's going to come out. The Bible says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Those of you who live very long, you understand that. You understand if you're around somebody and listen to them converse very long, it isn't long until who they really are begins to come out in conversation. They're going to slip up and tell off on themselves before long. They're going to tell of whatever attitude and spirit that they're of. If they are uh, a, a child of God and love God and the things of God and love the church and love the Word of God, that is going to be a part of their conversation. And that is what is going to come out in conversation with them. It doesn't matter. They don't have to try to hide. They don't have to try to put on the dog because they have a private life that is consistent with their outward life or, or the things that we can see. And that's what a real Christian is, as somebody that lives for God, not just when the spotlight is on them, not just when they're out in the crowd, not just when people are looking on, not just when someone is observing them, not when they're just put under the microscope, but they're consistently living for God in the shadows of life. They're living for God, amen, no matter if they're at home and all by themselves. They're living for God and serving God with all of their heart all the time, 24-7. Can you say praise the Lord to that? Hallelujah. Praise God. So he said, you know, they, they put on a garment and they anoint their head and uh, they look good. But uh, they're trying to convey something that they're not. Live joyfully with thy wife, whom thou lovest all the days of thy life, of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun. Again, I told you, this comes with, this comes with encouragement and it comes with admonition. I would say this would be one of those encouragements that be content with what the Lord has given you. And here he uses... He uses the marriage relationship to describe that. Be content with what God has blessed you with. Have you ever known people, I assume there's nobody here like this, or at least I hope that there's no one that feels this way. Have you ever known people that 
that felt if I only was married to that person, if I only had a husband like that or a wife like that, I could be so much better. I could do so much better. I'd be so much happier. Uh, My life would be a whole lot more content or whatever. They're always looking for greener pastures. They're always looking to something else and comparing what they have with something else. He's saying, be content with what you have. Live with what the Lord has blessed you with and be thankful for it. Amen? And I think that we need to understand that as individuals, well, let's talk about that marriage relationship. Amen. I don't do a lot of deep diving in this particular subject, but maybe I need to. Can I tell you that people that are not content in their relationship are people that need to look within instead of comparing and pointing a finger to somebody else or the other person in the relationship and saying the problem's with them. You need to look on the inside and say, what's wrong with me that I can't see what God has blessed me with and I can't see and cannot be content with what God has given to me? Now, I may, I may have to go this alone all by myself here because amens might dry up here in just a little while, but that'll be okay because this is good teaching. Amen. Whether you're married or looking to get married, you understand what I'm talking about. You, you marry another human being, there's going to be deals that you're going to have to work through. All that married folks say amen. And if you can't say amen, you're a lion. I said you're lying if you say there's never been deals. Somebody said we never had an argument. We just had some intense fellowship. Somebody said, I've been married for 40 years or whatever, and my wife and I has never, never, never had a real dispute. I said, man, what's the secret? I said, well, we decided when we got married that I would uh, let her make all the major decisions, and I'd make all the minor decisions. And 40 years of marriage has not been a minor decision yet. And so uh, just left it all to her, I guess. Well, can I just tell you that to totally have an unrealistic picture of certain things, and relationships is one of those things, to have an unrealistic, romanticized view of it is not healthy. You understand that even in a Christian home, there is the potential for there to be conflict. Am I, am I getting too deep for you? You understand where I'm coming from. There's a potential for there to be disagreement. There's a potential for there to be some uh, discussion on certain matters to get them settled. But can I tell you, when you, when you let things devolve into a situation where you're tearing down and you're, you're ridiculing and you are threatening or you're saying things that are demeaning, Some, somebody, for instance, that demeans their spouse, you know what they're really doing? They're demeaning themselves. 
Because it was you, sir, you, ma'am, that chose that person. And so really, when you are putting that person down, you're really saying that you, you don't know how to make a good decision. You don't know how to make a good choice. Well, it's just marriage session 101 here. That's all right. But it's important that in our homes there be edification. That we edify one another. You know what that word edification is? To build up, to compliment, to say a kind word every once in a while. And to mean it, not, 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 not this superficial flattery, but, but to really mean it, to look for the good things. I'm going to promise you there's a whole lot of good if we'll look for it than there is bad. There's always going to be something negative that we could point out if that's what we're looking for. Negative people find negative things, but positive people look around and have faith that, that there's something positive that I can accentuate here. There's something positive that I can underscore. And we only not only need to do that between... Uh, in our marriages, but we also need to do that where our children's concerned. You know, children are going to get your attention. And they're going to get a certain amount of attention in their lives, whether it's negative or positive. And a lot of times you get to choose what kind of, what kind of attention they're going to get. If you're not giving them positive attention, they'll get your attention, and usually it'll be a negative attention at that point because they're not getting enough affirmation, and I know uh, the rod of correction has to be placed on the seat of correction, uh, or the, what is it, the rod of admonition has to be placed on the seat of, of correction. I, I understand all of that. I, I know our children have to be corrected, and sometimes it takes a stern hand, and all of that, and, and, but, but you know what? A lot of conflict could probably be avoided. I don't know how I got off on all of this, but I'm just going to do what I feel tonight. If we were giving the proper amount of time to our children that we should be. Went from three amens down to one. Four nights over, it might get down to none. (laughs) Again, I can handle it. Praise God. But you need to affirm your children. There's enough negative things coming against them in this world. They need to know that there's some place that is a refuge, and your home needs to be that place that they can go and find affirmation. Amen? And they know, you know how you spell love to a child is T-I-M-E, time. And, you know, if there's any regret that I have had as a father is that, even sometimes in the work of God, I felt like I was busy saving the world and did not spend enough time, in many cases, with my children. And uh, let me just help you if you've got young children, and I certainly am not uh, the primal example here, but I can just tell you that you can do a lot better if you'll just spend a little time with them. A lot of behavioral issues can straighten out on their own. Amen? Because that's what they want. They want that affirmation. They want that love. That's what they're craving in their lives. Well, I'm going to move on.
But in these relationships, there's got to be, there's got to be an understanding that I can't have an unrealistic view and I need to be happy with and, and have peace with and learn to rejoice in what God has blessed me with. We get to look at somebody else's family. Look how perfect their children is. Look how everything, man, they, they, they snap their fingers and their children just seem like they get right in line. And I promise you it's not like that all the time. That might just be what you saw for a little while, but I promise you it's not like that all the time. And you can get looking over here and looking over there and comparing and all that kind of stuff. Well, the Bible said if you do that, you do not well. Don't compare yourself with somebody else and where they're at. You, you, you don't, it's not the same thing. It's not, it's not wise to do that. But understand, God gave me whom He gave me, and I need to be thankful. I need to rejoice in it. And I'm going to tell you, be a lot happier and feel a lot more satisfied and complete in life if you'd learn to do that. Amen. Boy, I'm, I'm telling you, all kind of inspiration is coming to me right now. I got all kind of coming into my mind like waves. And I said, no, God, wait just a minute. Maybe I need to get me a a marriage seminar going here on Wednesday nights. But anyhow. Live joyfully with thy wife. Let's just leave it at that. I know that's a pretty tall order for some of you, but live joyfully with thy wife. For that is thy portion in this life. And in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Be joyful in the career that God has given you. Be joyful in the life that God has given you. Amen. Now I understand we all have goals. We all have things that we want to do and things we want to achieve. And I get that. I understand that. I'm not saying... Where you start out is where you got to stay, and you just got to be content with with staying at that place. But at whatsoever state you're in, as you're climbing the ladder, be content. That's what the Apostle Paul meant by that. He's not saying don't ever have any goals, don't ever have any drive in you to do better for yourself. But what he's saying is, is don't live all stressed out in the moment and pressured in the moment thinking, well, I, I got to do this and I got to do that. If I'm ever going to be happy, if I'm ever going to reach uh, success, if I'm ever going to be uh, known for being successful, I got to do this or that. I got to have that or I got to achieve this over here. I got to have this home. I got to have that car. I got to drive this. You know what? Some, some people make the mistake of doing they think that everything is is things that can be seen in the status that they have what they wear what they drive what they live in they think that they make the mistake of thinking that that is happiness well you you could have just a bunch of payments and it didn't take a wise man to figure out that a bunch of payments doesn't bring happiness you may be dry it's like my friend in bible school said we said my god jonathan said said uh uh, man, where'd you get that suit? That looks like a very expensive suit. Man, that's, uh, I got it here and, and told how much he paid for it. Somebody asked him if he wanted to go out to eat a little later. He said, no, I can't go. He said, I may be hungry, but I'm looking good. Mm-hmm. 
You know, you got to factor that in. You got to eat. You're going to get tired of that top ramen after a little while. Every once in a while, you're going to at least want a hamburger. Don't get yourself so strung tight that there's stress. You talk about pressure. Man, I'm getting so far off my subject. That aggravates me. I mean, you got your budget strung tight as a banjo string and wonder why in the world you and your wife are at one another's throats all the time. Well, duh. And let me just tell you this. I know you, you're the man of the house, and you say, man, I, I, I'm the one that's going to have control of this check. But, but if you don't know how to balance it, maybe you need to give it to your wife. If you can't refrain from writing a check, maybe you need to give it to your wife and vice versa. <laughs> Boy, go warm the car up, Sister Calhoun. We may have to make a quick getaway after this. <laughs> That's the truth, isn't it? You didn't know teaching could be so fun. Some of you thought this was going to be just a boring Wednesday night, fog outside, cold. You never know what we're going to pull out of the hat around here. You've got to be satisfied with the work that you're doing. You'll be most productive if you're happy. I'm trying to get on down here to my text scripture. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Now, there's some assumptions that are being made by the writer here. He said, whatsoever thy hand findeth. The assumption, number one, is is that you're looking for something to do. <laughs> Boy, you're going to have to slow down a little bit, God. These floodgates are opened up. <laughs> Assumption number one is that you're looking for something to do. Whatsoever thy hand find it to do. You know, finders are usually searchers first, right? I know that's elementary. I know that I have to. Slow down and dissect that for you a little bit and get it get it down from the Greek back into the English, but but you know you're usually searching for something when you find something. You know, it should be ingrained in all of us as children of God to be productive, to be doers, uh, to find something, particularly in the church, in the kingdom of God, that is adding to the kingdom of God. That is adding to the work of God. Don't just be a drain. Don't just be a taker. Be a giver. Be somebody that gives back. Be somebody that adds to. Somebody that that is not just taking, 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 living selfishly. But be willing every once in a while. Say, God, help me to give back. Help me to give something that builds up the church that has been so good to me. And such a blessing to my life. 
Find an area to work. Find an area. Teach a Sunday school class. Be an usher. Do something in the kingdom. Go, go on outreach. Teach a Bible study. Bring somebody to the house of God. Do something. Amen. Besides just be a pew dweller. I got to be involved in the kingdom work. This is the kingdom of God. And I've got to find something to do in it. And that starts with a desire. He said, findeth whatsoever thy hand, findeth to do. Amen. Not lacking in motivation. In other words, not lazy. And you're finding something to do. And focusing yourself on that. Prioritizing yourself to do that work. Do it, whatever it is. That's, that's singular. You're focusing on it. It. I focused in on this thing that God wants for me to do. And I'm going to do it with all. Nothing left on the table. Nothing held in reserve. I'm going to give all I've got to it. Do it with all thy might. That's, of course, strength. But it speaks also... We know in the Bible that, that, that Jesus alluded to this several times in the gospel. He said that we're to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and strength. Amen? Or might. That's in Mark chapter 12 where it says it that way. It says that different variations of that very same statement is given. But also this is speaking of excellence. Do it with all thy might. When you're talking about somebody doing something with all their might, they're doing it with an attitude and a spirit of excellence. And this is required of individuals to receive the blessing and the approval of God and uh, the favor of God in their life. Us as individuals, we can't be, we can't have a slop-sided attitude towards living for God and expect to be successful at it. And kind of have an attitude that I'm just going to go with the flow and live carelessly and haphazardly and expect anything good to come out of that kind of an attitude. We've got to have a spirit of excellence when it comes to serving God. Also, it's required of a church that is blessed and has revival and favored and anointed of God. The Apostle Paul admonished his protege in the gospel, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3 and 17, that the man of God be perfect. Now, we understand our interpretation of perfect is, I mean, everything is, every I is dotted, every T is crossed. There's nothing out of place. and There's no room for mistakes. That's not what he's saying there. He's talking about an attitude of striving for Perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let me just tell you something. God is into the details. And if you take care of the details, the big things take care of themselves. If you get concerned about the details and living for God, a lot of the big problems will vanish. That's right. And first place to start is in a person's attitude. 
That's the first place that we can start is with our attitude. All of us can work on our attitude from time to time. Or should I say most of the time. We can all work on our attitude. Can you say praise the Lord to that? Amen. And there's an attitude of excellence. There's an attitude of excellence that we all need to possess. And that is that if it's worth doing, I'm going to do it right. If it's worth living for God and that this is my eternity hangs on this, I'm not going to be slipshod about it. I'm not looking to get by with the least amount that I can do and still be saved. If you have that kind of attitude, it's doubtful that you will be saved. Remember years ago, and I think I've used this before, but uh, noticed on a on a person's keychain, it said, "I want to I want to know exactly how much I can get by with and still be saved." And I thought, what a terrible attitude and perspective to have to see how much I could get. I want to be just as carnal as I can be and still make it. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're probably not going to make it with that kind of attitude. You have to have an attitude that says, I'm so in love with Jesus. Anything he asks me to do, I'll gladly do it. Because I want to be saved so that I might see the one that died for me someday. That gave his life. He didn't spare anything for me. He gave everything so that I could be what I am today. He gave an excellent sacrifice so that I could live in victory. So that I could live as a child of God. Can you say praise the Lord? Amen. So it's imperative that we understand that our it, it starts with our attitude. What's our attitude towards living for God? What's our attitude? We talk about our attitude towards other people. What's your attitude towards God? What's your attitude towards His Word? Do you always have a defensive attitude when it comes to the Word of God? Oh, I don't say that. Oh, I, I, I don't believe that. I mean, you take some people right to the Word of God, show them in black and white, and they'll still fuss with you about it. You know what I say? I say, I'm tired of arguing with you. Amen. There's too many people that want this, that are concerned with with being right before God, that understand that if God's Word says it, there's no argument with it. It's infallible. It's there. I'm not going to argue and say, well, the, you know, the King James translators, they, they put that in there. That's not really what that means. They, they were just talking to this church or that church. They weren't really talking to the church at whole. I'm going to tell you, why is it in there? The Bible said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That's you. That's me. It's there for a reason. When this Bible talks about holiness, it's not a suggestion, folks. When this Bible talks about living a separated life, it's not just a good idea, folks. It's the Word of God. Amen. And it starts with our attitude towards it. Amen. I never have understood anybody that has the attitude that I want to I wanna be... Pentecostal in name only. Not really in my lifestyle. You know, don't, don't crowd me too much. I like to go on Sunday and get all those good blessings. I like to shout a little bit. I like to fall out. I even like to speak in tongues. I don't know if it's, it's the real deal if you're doing it like that. I, I, like, I like to profess that I'm Pentecostal. I like the power and the energy that goes along with the moving of the Spirit. 
But, you know, we all are humans. We all make mistakes, and we all get outside the lines every once in a while. And you know me. I, I've always had a little problem with this, and I've always had a little problem with that. And I like to wear that, and I like to drink this, and I like to act like that, and I like to say these words, and I like to tell these jokes when nobody in the church is around. I'm going to tell you, you need to knock that kind of stuff off and realize that I better get a better attitude. Amen. God expects more from me than that. I need to quit being a hypocrite and realize that he wants me to live right and godly, not just when I'm at church or not just on Sunday and not just on Wednesday afternoon, but he wants me to live for God when I'm on vacation. He wants me to live for God at home. He wants me to live for God all the time. That's what a true, dedicated saint of God does. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord. The landing gear's down. What about a spirit of excellence and, and whatsoever thy hand find to do, do it with all thy might? What about if I put it this way? Whatsoever thy mouth saith, do it to the best of your ability. Come on. Does it matter? I'm going to tell you, apostolics should be people of their word. Honest, of good report. You say you're going to do something, do it. Some people, you know, it's well, I meant well. You better let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You better be in intending on following through. Be honest about it. Don't just say whatever pe- people want to hear. Don't just, just blow smoke. But let them know that you mean what you say by following it up with your actions. Be, be a consistent child of God. Don't, don't be one of these that just, uh, man, I'm on top of the world one day, and I mean, the next time I get a chance to talk to you, it's like, man, I'm in basement seven today. I mean, I, and I know we life is life. It has its ups and downs. I get all of that. But I'm going to tell you, there's something wrong. If you go from manic depression to this zenith up here, you don't need you don't need more. Prozac, what you need is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will level some of that stuff out for you. And that's not something we deal with a lot, but I'm not for all this medicating everything. I don't think that that's, that's responsible. I don't think that is what a child of God ought to do. We, we run to the medicine cabinet. We need to be running the altar and saying, God, if you're really God, you can help me with all of this. And I'm going to tell you, he can help you with all of this. He can give you strength. He can give you stability. Even emotionally, he can give you stability. And you say, praise the Lord. And so, your word is good. Let me talk about one more thing, and then I'm going to move on. Your management of your time. That's really what this text is getting into. 
The management of your time is so imperative. So imperative. The management of your time. If we're going to, you know, I'm always amazed when people say, I don't have time to do that, or I, I had this, that, and the other. But I'm going to just tell you, you, you're going to give your time to what you love. And if you love Jesus, if you love the church, you love the things, the kingdom of God, it's worthy of your time. We have a scheduled practice around here of some sort. Man, it's a, it's a slap in the face to have people show up 15, 20 minutes late. Amen. If you're going to be involved in something, be conscious of your time. I know uh, Brother Morton, who's preached here several times, used to make the statement that if you're five minutes late, or if you're on time, you're, you're late. You need to be five minutes early. Well, that'd be a pretty good practice for some of you. Because you're chronically late to everything. We have your funeral. They're going to drag it in here five minutes late, your casket. I'm going to insist on it. So, no, they wouldn't be here by now. Hold it out there. Doors don't open until five minutes after. Fifteen minutes after. Well, I got so much to do. Hey, join the club. You don't want to hear about my schedule right now. I'm telling you, just join the club. We always seem to find time to eat. Somebody better say amen. Uh, Nobody drying up on a vine around here, I can tell you that. We find time to sleep. Somebody better say amen. Amen. I tell you, we'd perform a lot better if we learned to go to bed just a little bit earlier. And I know that's not going to make me popular. But, but some of you need to get in the habit of going to bed a little bit earlier on Saturday night at least. I don't care what you do on Friday night. But would you go to bed for me a little bit early on Saturday night where at least I don't have to get some toothpicks to prop your eyes open when I preach on Sunday morning? Because some of you are struggling. We come in here on Sunday morning. I said, yep. <laughs> and your wagon is dragging on Sunday. And you say, well, that's the only night I got to party and have a good time. Well, there's got to be another night in the week you could do it. You know, I like to say it like I heard my friend Brother Wilma say it. He said, you know, Sunday is game day when it comes to the church. We practice all week for Sunday. We put everything, we prepare, we get ready. That's game day. We need to be our most alert. We need to be our most attentive. We need to bring our best worship. We need to bring our best prayer. We need to get behind the preaching. The preacher's going to give it his best shot. He's going to do all he can do. Come on, just stand with me right now. I'm just about through. 
Amen. We need to give it everything we've got. Amen. On game day, if we're going to have victories, uh, we're going to have to put everything we've got into it. Come on now. Clap your hands to the Lord. Whatsoever thy hand find it to do, do it with all your might. Because God can't bless sloppiness. I got one more thing. Car ought to be warm by now. You see me run out the side exit there. Could we put a little joy with it? Would that be all right? Could we put a little joy with it if you're singing on the platform? Could you could you do me a favor? Put a smile on your face. And I know I'm not the perfect example of that, but I'm going to try to do better. And we can work together on this. And you can remind me and I'll remind you. And I know I'm a pretty serious guy. At least I come across that way. And, but you know what? We need a little joy in our step. We need a little joy when it comes to serving. Put some joy in, in this. You know, this is, a, this is in some ways ought to be a celebration around here. We're celebrating being delivered from sin. We're celebrating, amen, that we don't have to live in the darkness of false doctrine anymore, but we're here and we have the truth and we have freedom in our lives because of it. Put a little joy on it because that will give you strength, the Bible says. Would you lift up your hands with me right now? Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word tonight, God. I've endeavored to be obedient to you tonight, Father. I pray, God, that you would help us and you would speak to us. You'd move in our lives. God, you'd minister to this group of people. Help us, God, to take this away and tuck it in our hearts and apply it in the days to come. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Would you pray that prayer? God, help me to apply your word to my life. Help me not to be a hearer only, but help me, God, to be a doer of the word. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, that's it. Give him some praise. Thank you so much for being attentive and open and receptive to the Word of God. Amen. I tried to put a little sugar on top of the turpentine. Sometimes we, what was the, a little bit of sugar makes the medicine go down? Well, that's, that's where we are tonight. Well, it's a joy serving God, and we always need to remember that. Sometimes we need a little course correction. We need a little help. We need a little encouragement to stay within the borders of God's blessings. But you know what? It's for our good. Come on. I'm glad we're not, uh, we're not hospice around here, folks. We're a hospital. We're just not trying to make you feel good until you die. We're, we're trying to get you better so that you can go on, stand up on your own two feet and live for God. Get your strength back. They start calling in hospice, you know it's coming to an end.
That's the last word I want to hear. If I'm laying on a deathbed, take me to the hospital, but don't, don't call hospice. Because I know all they're going to do is make me feel good until it's over. Amen. I'm not interested in that. Doc, if I need a shot, give me a shot. If you got to take a scalpel to me, get it on. It may hurt temporarily, but I'm going to feel better in the long run. Praise the Lord. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for being attentive to the Word of God.